0: Welcome to Know My Faith. My guest is Wes Tabor from uh, Life and Messiah. And actually, I think you're about the third person we've spoken to from Life and Messiah. Where's welcome to Know My Faith.
1: Thank you. It's great to be with you.
0: Yeah, it's good to be with you too. I was uh, very uh, pleased. To, I had to take one of my grandchildren uh, to the uh, to the medical center the other day and I thought I need to read something. So I opened up my phone and and there on the phone is uh, Reaching Jewish People for the Messiah by Where's Tabor. I thought, well, that was a... I had three hours sitting there, <laughs> waiting for the medical staff, so I read your book. Well, I'm glad that it filled your time there, and that you didn't use it for uh, putting
1: yourself to sleep.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's it. So, look, listen, tell us a little bit about uh, about Life and Messiah.
1: Sure, I'd love to. Uh, Life and Messiah was actually founded back in 1887 as the Chicago Hebrew Mission, and I'm not sure if your listeners are familiar with William E. Blackstone, but there are not a lot of gentile christian missionaries who get favorable press in the encyclopedia judaica but blackstone is one and uh, we count him as our founder back in 1887 and the blackstone memorial of 1891 is what helps uh, him to be recognized by the jewish people as an early christian zionist in fact we have a letter in the billy graham center archives where the blackstone material is from Nathan Strauss, who was one of the owners of the Macy's department store, famous big New York shopping uh, mecca in New York. And uh, he says, Justice Brandeis agrees with me that you rightfully should be called the father of Zionism because Blackstone's work antedated Hartzell's by about five years.
0: My goodness. And and Blackstone is a Gentile, not a Jew.
1: That's right. Yeah. he's uh, In fact, he wasn't even really a... Uh, a scholar. He graduated from high school barely, but he was a real Bible student all of his life. And uh, he believed the word of God. And that's a tremendous advantage because he saw God had made promises to the Jewish people. You know, he actually died before Israel became a state. So he didn't get to see his dream fulfilled, but he worked ardently for the restoration of the Jewish people.
0: I think it's fascinating reading books. Uh, I have a couple written in the uh, late 19th century, early 20th century, by people that, that saw that vision. They read the scriptures and they said, no, God is going to restore the land to Israel. There will be a nation of Israel. Um, right? You know, We can write that now because we know it 70 years on, but they were writing that 100 years ago, 150 years ago.
1: That's right. And uh, Blackstone was also the author of the first popular premillennial work called Jesus is Coming. He was so humble that he didn't even sign it. He just put web his initials on the yep. book and a, a couple of things that are I think fascinating about Blackstone I call him the the forest gump of evangelicalism and if you've got two hours I could fill all two hours I think talking about Blackstone. but one of the things that he did was uh, justice Brandeis, Lewis Brandeis was the first Jewish Supreme Court justice and by the way, uh, if your listeners could be praying for our Supreme Court here, we're waiting yes. for their ruling on on Roe versus Wade, and that could be a sea change here in America. Uh, but Brandeis was the first Jewish Supreme Court justice. Brandeis University in Boston is named after him. And he was a friend of Blackstone's. In fact, he signed the Blackstone Memorial. There were 413 uh, mostly big-name people. I mean, John D. Rockefeller, the world's richest Man at the time site. This was the petition that was sent to President Benjamin Harrison uh, advocating for the establishment of a homeland for the Jewish people. Right. And Brandeis was one of those who signed it. D.L. Moody was another. Um, but Brandeis was the one who uh, executed or put together Blackstone's will in which there was a rapture clause. He said, if I and millions of Christians should sudden, suddenly disappear from the earth, then all the money in this estate that Blackstone was responsible for should go to 144,000 Jewish witnesses, <laughs> Jewish evangelists will suddenly arise to preach the gospel of Jesus. How's that for a practical faith?
0: That's that's faith. There's a documentary around at the moment which is very popular called What is a Woman? Uh, I want to ask you the same question, but change that last word. What is a Jew?
1: Sure. So, you know, the rabbis define who is a Jew by uh, if your mother is Jewish. So it's a biological definition, but then they added a religious definition. Uh, You're you're born a Jew if you have a Jewish mom, but if you convert to another religion, and by that they mean another monotheistic religion, and specifically Christianity, then you're no longer Jewish. So they start with a biological definition, and then they throw in the religious definition definition. And so if you're a Gentile who uh, converts to rabbinic Judaism, then you can also be considered a Jew. But I think from a biblical point of view, uh, we always see patrilineal descent. And for me, I don't really care if you have a Jewish mom or a Jewish dad, you're a a descendant, a physical descendant of Abraham, I would say you have the right to call yourself Jewish. As far as I know, in fact, before, before we did the 23andMe, we had all the Tabor oral tradition from uh, the Tabor side of things, there was a Philip Tabor who came over in 1630 from Essex, England, right. to Plymouth, Massachusetts. So that's the uh, the Tabor side of it. And The other side was was uh, mostly Danish and and some Irish uh, thrown in there as well. Uh, and then we did the 23andMe, and sure enough, I don't have any Jewish DNA. If I did, I'd be be very happy to own it. Yeah. But I'm more happy to be able to say I'm a spiritual son of Abraham, according to what Paul writes in Romans. I don't yep. call myself a spiritual Jew. I think the term Jewish Jew ought to be reserved for the biological descendants of, of Abraham. But I'm happy to call Abraham my spiritual dad.
0: We've just recorded a video on exactly that, uh, on spiritual Jews and, and, and all the the... the, the yeah, you know, the mistake that some people make that when you convert to Christianity, you are no longer a Jew. There's, you know, there's no longer Gentile or Jew. It's, a, but we won't go into that at the moment. But one of the things, I mean, we have um, on on average, we have between seven and maybe nine thousand Israelis travel through New Zealand each year. Uh, they come here for our walks, for the backpacking, and all that sort of stuff. And it would be very easy to lump them all all in to one group, but they're very, very diverse, aren't they?
1: Yes, now the backpackers, for the most part, are secular Jewish people. You'll find a few who are wearing a kippah, uh, but for the most part, they're, they're non-religious. We lived in Jerusalem back in the early 80s, and it was startling to me to see the percentage of Jewish people who were non-observant.
0: The percentages would be, I suppose, similar to the rest of the world as far as religion goes, is that most are just completely non-religious, Atheistic or agnostic or whatever. There's
1: a, the whole spectrum from the Haredim, the ultra orthodox, all the way to the antagonistic, the uh, the anti-religious. Yeah. Um, but there are a lot of in Israel. There are a lot of traditional Jews. They're they're very proud to own their Jewishness and they celebrate the holidays. It's just, but it's more cultural than religious.
0: Yeah. yeah. Hopefully you can explain this because it's the, there's the two terms Sephardic and Ashkenazi. And those are very, very confusing for people that that are like coming in and lo- and looking at this new and you go, well, what is a Sephardic Jew? What is an Ashkenazi Jew?
1: Sure. Well, here in America, I think, um, because of television, most people identify Jewish people as the Ashkenazim. Those are the, the Eastern European, uh, Central European Jewish people. Uh, the word Sfarad in in uh, in Hebrew, uh you actually are dealing with the Spanish Jews. So anybody from the Iberian Peninsula, uh, historically, would be a Sephardic Jew. And, you know, 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue, but Ferdinand and Isabella kicked the Jewish people out of Spain. Mm. And they ended up going, uh, some of them to uh, North Africa. When we moved to Israel, I was shocked to find that the, the country that had supplied the most Jewish people for Israel in the early years was Morocco. The very first Israeli that we ever met when we were doing ministry in our early years in Miami and Miami Beach uh, was a Moroccan descended Israeli. She was born in Jerusalem, but her parents had immigrated in the 50s, early 50s from, from Morocco. So she would be Sephardic, right? the Sephardic Jewish people. And Ladino is basically a form of Spanish that's written in Hebrew. So the Ladino speakers are the Sephardic Jews, and the, the Yiddish speakers yep. are the Ashkenazic Jews.
0: Okay, so the Yiddish is more, that, I mean, that's that's more what we know, the European-style Jew, fiddler that's on right. the roof and, and all of that.
1: Exactly. Yeah, they,
0: they, they've they had a better press agents, I think. They get they a lot more
1: <laughs> TV time and books and, and so forth. Yep. So the stereotypical Jewish person, at least here in the States, uh, often is like a Silverman or a Greenbaum or a... Uh, Goldstein, you know, those are all Ashkenazi names.
0: Do they care? Do the do, do the Jews themselves care which one they're they're identified with? Does it, you know, you're like you walk into a room, you go, no, oh, no, no, I'm going in there's a bunch of Ashkenazis.
1: You know, I'd love to say that there really isn't that big a distinction. And for most Jewish people, I don't think that there is. And, and outside of Israel, probably not. One of the sad things, and I learned this firsthand, uh, my first year living in Jerusalem, I was sitting on a bus Coming home from Ulpan, and I was just learning modern Hebrew, and there was something that was scrawled in a magic marker on the back of the bus, uh, of the seat across from me. So I'm trying to to read it, and I, I sounded it out, and it was mavit la Ashkenazim, mavit la Ashkenazim. Well, the la Ashkenazim is to the Ashkenazis, but what's mavit? What's mavit? And then I remembered, mavit is death. Well, who? You know, what Nazi got on the bus and wrote "Mavet Lashkanazim" death to the Ashkenazim? And an older Jewish man sat down in that seat. He looked at the back of it, and he, he got really angry. And then the guy who was sitting next to him, who was also a Jewish man, said, and I heard this with my own ears, Hitler It's too bad that Hitler didn't finish the job. And I could not believe it. I could not believe it. Here's a Jewish man saying to another Jewish man, it's too bad that your, your folks weren't killed. Well, here's the background for this. This was the result of the waves of immigration from the Sephardic Jewish people who after Israel was founded as a nation, they came to a, a state that didn't really have a lot of resources. Yep. And so many of them lived in tents and on, on the uh, beaches and stuff. And and the Ashkenazim were the settled ones. They were the ones who were the academics and they led in the military. And they certainly led in the government until Menachem Begin came along, who is himself Ashkenazi. Um, the, there wasn't a whole lot of um, participation in the government on the part of the Sephardim. So... They felt like second-class citizens. Right. I don't want your listeners to make the mistake of thinking that all the Sephardim wish that the, yeah. that Hitler had finished the job. That's an extreme example of the kind of animosity, the the division in the society. And I think over time that has lessened.
0: Family squabbles.
1: Very, very much an internal squabble. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We uh as as Gentile Christians and believers, we know that Yeshua is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But when we're talking to, and this is getting really to the topic of things about about relating the Messiah to uh modern Jews and, and modern Israelis, it's not so much just a simple matter of saying, uh, hey, where's did you realize that Jesus is actually your God?
1: Yes. I uh, I wish it were that easy. Yeah. There are First of all, I think the most important thing to under understand is whatever Satan especially hates, whatever God especially loves. I should say the positive way. Whatever God especially loves, Satan especially hates. Yes. And because God has set His love and His name upon the Jewish people, uh, the Jewish people are the chosen people. And if anybody doubts that, go to Deuteronomy chapter seven, verses uh, six through eight. God says, you know, I didn't choose you because you were more in number. You know, there's no, there's nothing inherently greater about yep. the Jewish people. He said you were the fewest of all, all people, but because the Lord loved you and because He made promises to the fathers, god that's why God chose you. So the idea of uh, the Jewish people being God's chosen people is not something that Jewish people invented. It's something that God did. God did the selecting. And because God especially loves them and made special promises to them and indeed says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel, Satan, of course, wants to destroy the Jewish people. And he's tried to do it physically over and over again, from the days of Pharaoh killing the baby boys to Haman getting the king Ahasuerus to sign the decree that in 137 provinces, all the Jewish people should be killed because he hated one man, Mordecai. Yeah. I mean, go measure that. Um, all the way up through the Holocaust, Satan has tried to destroy the Jewish people physically, but he can't do that. So he'll settle for destroying them spiritually. And so Satan does not care if a Jewish person is rabidly rabbinically observant, but rejects Yeshua, Jesus, or if they're totally secular atheists. You know, there was a guy who was a a nuclear physicist we talked to on the beach of Tel Aviv one day. And, you know, he listened to our our presentation about Yeshua being the Messiah. And he just kind of shook his head, you know. He said, you know, you seem like an educated person. <laughs> you seem <laughs> like an vice. educated person. You know how how can you believe this nonsense, right? So Hanoch, who is a highly educated nuclear physicist, but doesn't believe the Bible, doesn't believe in God. He said, "Look, if I wanted a religion, Judaism is a far superior religion to Christianity. I just don't believe any of it. It's all nonsense." Yeah. So Hanoch is not is not in a right relationship with the God of Abraham. And uh, the Jewish person that Paul describes as having a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, is also lost. So Satan doesn't care where on the religious spectrum you are, as long as you're not dialed into the one channel that will save you, and that is the one where Yeshua, Jesus is the Messiah.
0: So, what are some of the keys for us? And and I'm particularly thinking about those that are watching this podcast that are the hosts that are you know looking forward to because our borders are about to open up, and this is why we're concentrating uh, much on that. We've had uh, two years now. So, as I say, on average, seven to nine thousand young Israelis come through. We're possibly going to have anywhere between fifteen and twenty thousand. Um, what are some of the keys that our hosts can use to begin? to present the messiah to these mostly secular israeli jews who don't even believe in god
1: so if you'd asked me this question 46 years ago when i was a rookie i would have backed up the truck and i would have had (laughs) all kinds of you know tips and tricks and do this and do that Um, but i'll tell you I'd, i'd rather start from what i know to be true And that is, there is no substitute for love and there's no substitute for being controlled by the Holy Spirit. So I would rather have a Gentile believer who knows nothing of Jewish history, customs, culture, religion, who genuinely is born again, loves the Lord Jesus, and the love of Yeshua is just pouring out from them. I can give you an illustration of this. There is a lady here in Northwest Indiana Um, she's vertically challenged, she's a short person. I'm six foot four, you can't tell that on camera. Uh, But this lady is really short. And she was walking her kids to school one day, dropped them off and was walking home. And at a stoplight right across the intersection, uh, she saw a man with a a white beard and a crown of white hair, and she thought it was my father-in-law. And so she starts waving to him, But the light changes, and as the car comes closer, she sees there's a cigarette dangling from this guy's lips, and she goes, oh, that's not Pastor Curry. Well, that afternoon, she went to pick up her kids, and now the man approaches, and now she sees this driver that she had waved at has got a yarmulke on his head, right? Yeah. And he comes up to her, and he says, hey, were you waving at me this morning? I don't think I know you and she said well no you don't know me and i was waving at you but i thought you were somebody else she thought i thought you were my my pastor pastor curry <laughs> and he laughed he said no i'm not a pastor he said i'm a rabbi and she said really you're a rabbi cuz cuz my pastor used to be a pastor but now he works with the messianic jews oh bill was the director bill was the director of what was then american messianic fellowship chicago hebrew mission became american messianic fellowship the ministry that I joined in 1975, and today is known as Life and Messiah. Well, look, you don't have to come to one of our Jewish evangelism seminars. You know, that's probably not the most effective approach to talk to a rabbi, right? So, I mean, he was friendly, and he just kind of chatted with her for a minute, and and then she was gone with her kids. Weeks later, I mean, it was in the summertime, that was in the spring, she was at home walking her dog one morning, and a car pulls over, And the window comes down and the man's voice comes on and says, hi, do you remember me? And she said, yeah, you're Rabbi Yitzhak from New York. And he said, yeah, I've been looking for you. I I need to talk to somebody. Do you live around here? And she said, well, yeah, I just live just down the block. He said, would you mind if we talk? She said, no, come on over. So she walks her dog back. He parks the car, he gets out. He says, listen, I'm a rabbi. You're a married woman. We don't want the neighbors to talk. Is there someplace outside we can sit? So they go to the backyard. He sits down and he starts telling his story. He says, listen, I told you I was a rabbi and it's true. I was a rabbi, but a number of years ago, my wife got sick. She got cancer and I prayed that God would heal her, but, but she died. And I realized, uh, I don't know what happens to people when they die. And he said, how could I be a rabbi? How could I shepherd other people when i don't have the answer to the most important questions of life so i resigned from my pulpit he said now i'm living here in hammond with with my son and my daughter-in-law he said they're messianic jews do you know how hard it was for me as a rabbi when my son told me he believes in that man
0: yeah
1: orthodox jews won't even say the name of jesus right and then he said I'd love to know what your story is. And she said, excuse me just a minute. She went in to get her Bible and on the cover of her Bible was inscribed in the leather, the verse, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And she says, "What he said, what does that mean to you? And she said, well, listen, Rabbi, I have to tell you my story. He said, I grew up and I didn't know that there was a God who loved me. But then I found out that God does love me and that he has a son and his son's name is Jesus. And he came to be the Savior of mankind. And he died on the cross for my sins. And when I put my trust in him, he forgave all my sins. And then she said, and Rabbi, I have to tell you that this Jesus is not just my Messiah. He's your Messiah, too. Now, that was the only contextualization of the gospel that she had made. She said Christ instead um, of Messiah. said Jesus instead of Yeshua. said Jesus instead of Yeshua, right? Made all the mistakes. She made all the mistakes, but as she tells the story, she says, as she shared the gospel, it was like his face began to glow. I don't know exactly what that would have looked like, but understanding dawns, yeah. and he said, "You know, I've heard about this thing called a sinner's prayer. Maybe from his son, I don't know, but obviously he was a prepared heart." And he said, "Do you suppose it'd be okay if I prayed that right now?" And she said, "Well, well, sure." And then he said, "Well, should we stay?" Seated, or should we kneel? Like, <laughs> God cares. I don't know. <laughs> and she said, I don't care. What do you want to do? So they kneeled in the backyard. And this man prayed to receive the Lord Jesus as his Savior. Wow. And I will tell you that, as the former executive director of the oldest independent outreach to Jewish people in America, who's taught many Jewish evangelism seminars over the years, this is a frustrating story. Right? Because here's this woman who didn't know anything about Jewish evangelism who leads a rabbi from New York to saving faith in her backyard because she knew the Lord and she loved the rabbi. Yeah. If you know the Lord and you love the Jewish people that God puts in front of you, you are in a better place than if you know all the answers and the love of Jesus isn't there. And if you have time, I'll tell you a story to illustrate. The other side.
0: Just hold on to that story because what you've just uh, said is th- th- there's a, the myth of the um, of uh, the Jewish gospel that, that Jews are saved in a different way to everybody else. And uh, I don't know who started that or why it started, but but the story you just told shows us very very clearly that that's not the case. That whether you're whether you're Jewish or French or uh, you know Kiwi salvation comes the same way.
1: That's right. Well, I believe that the gospel can and should be contextualized where where possible. I think when we learn the heart language of the people that we're trying to reach, I think that's one way that we contextualize it. Um, and when we talk about Messiah, the advantage, you know this, Rob, the, the, the tremendous advantage that we have in Jewish evangelism is worth taking the message that was originally given to the Jewish people yeah. back to the people from whom we received it, right? Yeah. So, the contextualization is actually easy. We just put it back into its original context. Yeah. So, the story that I illustrate the, the opposite is our first year of ministry. We we're in, in Florida, South Florida, Miami's all the way down south. And Lori and I both realized at the end of a first year that for the first, for each of us, she grew up here in the Chicago area where we now live. I grew up in New England. Uh, both of our dads were pastors, and they both loved to travel. And as kids, we went with our dads. I didn't know Lori then, nor she me. But for the first year of our lives, we'd not left one state. We'd only been in Florida for a whole year. My folks were still in ministry up in Connecticut, and they were paying for us to fly up with our newly born, first born, their first grandchild, our son Joshua, um, from Miami up uh, up to Hartford. Yep. So we're on the plane. I've clocked up. It's been a long year, year and a half that we've been in in ministry. I'm tired. I'm getting to go back to my parents' home. We're going to dedicate my son. I'm on vacation. The plane is completely full. We're in the very back. If we were one row back, I'd have been in in the restroom, right? In the loo. Lori's in the window seat. I'm in my preferred aisle seat, and there's nobody sitting in the middle seat. And I'm thanking the lord that we've got this infant child we can rest for the couple hour flight up to hartford yep the door's about to close and this lady bundles on and there's no question where she's going to sit because there's only one seat left on the airplane she's coming for me so with a sigh i move over to the middle seat my my least favorite seat on an airplane yeah and this is a woman who's of si- sizable girth and she comes and plops herself down and and before the plane even takes off, she reaches into her bag and she pulls out some bagels and she starts smearing cream cheese on the bagel, right? Right. So I'm thinking, hmm, I wonder if she's Jewish. Well, we she's very talkative. We strike up a conversation even before the plane is airborne. I reach for the diaper bag, which is this uh leather camel skin bag that my father-in-law had back backpack- brought back from Jerusalem. She said, Oh, where'd you get that bag? I said, Oh, it's from Israel, my She said, I thought so. I bought one of those when I was over there. Yeah. So like, ding, ding, right? Then she says, uh, so what do you do for a living? Right. I love that question. So now I clock back in, right? I'm back on duty. Yeah. And I went to Moody Bible Institute and I studied under Dr. Lewis Goldberg and I took Jewish history and Jewish customs and culture and Jewish religious thought and messianic prophecy. I've got it all, right? So she has asked the question, I get to back the dump truck up and I start dumping, right? And I'm talking about how as a Gentile I had come to faith in the the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I came to understand from the Jewish prophets that Yeshua is the Messiah, the Mashiach of Israel. And that when that when he was born, he had a brist, you know, when he was five days old. And I'm yeah. I'm throwing in some some Old Testament and I'm throwing in some Yiddish and I'm throwing in some Yiddish kite. Right. And at some point I say, and you know, God has given me a Jewish heart. And she said, let me stop you right there. You don't have a Jewish heart. My neighbor, Tony, he's a Catholic. He's got a Jewish heart. He comes over to our house and he helps us celebrate all the holidays. You know what? I've never told a Jewish person ever again that I have a Jewish heart. If they can't sense that I have love for them, yeah. there's no real point in me saying that. What she was telling me, and she was right, was West, you filled your head with a lot of knowledge, but I don't sense your heart cares about me at all. What a rebuke
0: that was. Yeah, because sometimes what happens is we we switch into... Uh, into uh, a fighter pilot mode we're just we're just looking for another notch on the belt yeah yeah got another jewish person saved you know um and that's not what whether it's a jewish person or a gentile it's that's not what it's about it's about relationship and it's about family you know uh, jesus said they'll you will they will know you're my disciples by your love for one another it's i i genuinely right. want this person in in my life as a friend and and I think if we can if we can get past that, and, and it's like whether or not. I mean, yes, obviously we desire, we yearn for them to come to know the Messiah, but whether they do or not, I still want to be friends with you.
1: Yes, that's exactly right. As a matter of fact, that first Israeli that we met in Miami Beach back in 1976 is a dear friend to this day. And to this moment, she has not put her faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. She loves us. We're, we're family to her. Um, and she's met a lot of believers and she's heard the gospel many times, but the Lord has not opened her spiritual eyes of understanding as yet. And so if uh, you're listeners want to pray for Sarah they can join the many thousands who have prayed for Sarah over the years i believe she's going to come to faith one of
0: these days when you get to know someone you you are if you want to get to know someone you ask them questions are there any particular questions not not to use as a rote question but but as a as a theme i suppose that can open the door to a spiritual conversation
1: sure um and you're right I don't like having a sales talk because it comes off as disingenuous and insincere. Uh, but I do think it's helpful to have some tools in the toolkit. So when I'm sitting next to a person and I've been fooled both ways, I was convinced I was sitting next to a Jewish person who turned out to be a Gentile. And I was convinced I was sitting next to a Gentile who turned out to be a Jewish person. So, so, you know, even after many years, I can't always tell. Um, so if I don't know, um, a good, a good question to talk about spiritual things is, you know, I've been taking kind of an informal, um, it's hard to say survey because surveys sound more formal, but more or, of a questionnaire. Yeah,
0: a poll. And that something. I like to
1: ask people is, if, if, you had, if you had the opportunity to ask God one question, what would you ask him? Now, when you ask that question, if a person says, well, I don't believe in God, then you already know yeah. right, that they're an atheist. But if they do have a question that they would ask God, it can be telling because sometimes it's like, well, why is, why is there so much hardship in the world? Why did my grandmother die? Or, you know, for a Jewish person, where was God when the 6 million died? Right. Yeah. So, so Mm -hmm. the kind of theological question that they would ask often opens the door for a spiritual conversation. So I I really like that one. Um, Another one is I, I, Curious to know, uh, as I talk to people, I like to find out, uh, were they raised in a particular religious background that they've maintained or have they changed from what, what they were raised with? What, what would you say your story has been? That's
0: yeah, That's a good so way that's kind, of an, that.
1: yeah. that's kind of an that. That's kind of an open-ended question, but it gives the person an opportunity to say, well, I was raised this way and I'm still that way or I was raised this way, but I'm not there, I'm someplace else.
0: And again, it's it's taking an interest in uh, in the person. There's a, um, a, we had a guy that was one of our main uh, Promise Keepers speakers, Jim Hearn, who's, uh, well, I was gonna say sadly sadly passed on, but it wasn't sad for him, um, but but no, Jim, him. <laughs> Jim used to have this wonderful question, he'd be sitting on a plane and he'd be talking about you know where you're flying to and all this sort of stuff, and he just turned to the person and he says, well, tell me about your spiritual journey.
1: Yeah, no, I, I like that. I've used that as well. Sometimes I'll say, uh, so can you tell me where you are in your spiritual journey? Would you say you're just starting out or do you think you're well on your way or have you arrived? Yeah. You know, give give, uh, give people some opportunity to flesh that out a little bit. Yeah. But any question that's not, not answered yes or no, if it's an open-ended question, you're more likely to get an extended dialogue. If you just yeah. say, are you Jewish? Um, you know, first of all, a lot of Jewish people don't really want to be identified as Jewish, at least to a stranger, because they've had negative experiences. Yes. And I think that's important for Christians, and I know you've talked about this, I'm sure, on on your podcast, that, you know, we really have a negative. We, we're operating from a deficit Yes. because of the history of, of the church and the synagogue. And I've often wondered, how different would it be if the Jewish people, when they heard you were Christian, their faces lit up and they said, oh, you're the people who have been our friends. You're the people who have been our protectors. You're the people who've stood up for us. And we have stories like Corey Ten Boom, right? So I'm on the streets of Brooklyn and a rabbi comes up to me, an ultra-Orthodox rabbi, and here's exactly what he said. I don't have time for you. He said, I've been talking to your colleague. There's another a uh, fellow worker up the street, he's already had an extended conversation with him. He said, I only have one question for you. Why are you part of such a religion of hate? You know, and again, if you'd asked me that 46 years ago, I wouldn't have been able to answer the question, yeah. but I've learned a few things since then, you know, and, you know, we struggle with, I, I can get past the Inquisition, I can get past the Crusades, but when you start getting into Martin Luther, right? He's he's our guy right? The yeah. father of the Reformation. And when you read some of the negative things, the nasty, the horrible things that he wrote, it's harder for me to distance myself from him. And then a lot of the churches that I speak in, uh, there's a lot of, I would call it the ignorant anti-Semitism, right? The guy said, yeah, I work with a with a, a kite friend. Well, I hope you don't say that to his face, Bill. Yeah. Oh yeah, we joke around all the time. Well, if you're Jewish, you can you can say that. But if you're not Jewish, you can't call your Jewish friend a kike. Yeah, black folks can use the N word to black folks, but white folks ought not to
0: be doing that. It's it's understanding. I uh, narrated a book for Ariel Ministries called Israel Betrayed by I think it's Andrew Robinson, uh, and it just I mean I knew a little bit of the history of the Protestant Church's treatment of Jewish people, particularly through Europe, uh, but this even opened my eyes. And I may be wrong, but I think, you know, a Jewish baby is almost born with a racial memory of what the Christian church has done to Jewish people. You know, but when we when right. we understand the history of that 2,000 years, it's not isolated incidents. It's not accidental. Right. It's not, um, you know, it, it it was purposeful mistreatment of the Jews. I think it
1: was the Times of Israel. Last week I read an article. Uh, There was a school teacher in Israel in a public school who uh, had a special session where she talked about some of the righteous Gentiles who had stood up for the Jewish people in the Holocaust at the risk of their own lives. Um, And a rabbi wrote to her and excoriated her and said, you shouldn't be doing this. He said, we work really hard to train our students that Christians are horrible people and they must be avoided at all costs. And when you hold them up as an example of a virtue, it undercuts our message, yeah.
0: right?
1: So he's trying to protect his flock from from Christianity because you know we're worse than Hitler because Hitler only killed uh, Jewish people's bodies, but but we're stealing their souls. We're keeping that's, them.
0: That's the attitude. From, yeah, from
1: God Aden the... Yeah, that's that's their view. Yeah. So. The idea that there could be Christians who are loving and kind and gracious and self-sacrificing is not the the model of Christian that they want yeah. to have held up. So to the degree that you in New Zealand or wherever in the world uh, people encounter Jewish people, uh, that the love of Yeshua is what they meet. When a Jewish person says, wow, this is different than what I had thought. The New Testament is a different book than I thought. I thought it was anti-Semitic, and it's really a Jewish book. And Christians love Israel, and they love the Jewish people, which is not what I was taught. So it's kind of mind-blowing, but it's also mind-opening. It opens the mind to think, well, if that wasn't true, what I heard before, then maybe it's not true what I heard about Yeshua either.
0: If I was watching this, the takeaway for me would be uh, do a little bit of research into the history of christianity and 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 the jewish race or the jewish people uh but just love them just love them and 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 you know get to know them i often use first peter 2 as you know where he says always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have within you yes. and i say to people listen if if you want to reach somebody if you're not sure how to do it you just say god get them to ask me a question
1: yes and and i think we can prompt those questions, right? Because usually if I ask, well, where do you work? They'll ask me, where do I work, right? So if I ask about their spiritual journey, then that gives me an opportunity to talk about my spiritual journey. Um, There are two things, and, and maybe this could be a good takeaway for anyone who has not yet witnessed to a Jewish person. There are two things that I think that as a believer, you can say with integrity and with sincerity. Number one is, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the things that have been done, the horrible things, horrible things that have been done in the name of Jesus against the Jewish people. Well, you talk about a non sequitur. You know, how can you say, I love the Jewish Messiah, I love the Jewish Bible, but I hate the Jewish people? Yeah. It, it, it makes no sense at all. And if you're a follower of Jesus who told us that we're even supposed to love our enemies, how, how in the world can you love his cousin not not love his cousins right Mm -hmm. so the first thing is i'm sorry and then the second thing is um thank you thank you because the i wouldn't know who god is you know my ancestors i'm sure worship wooden stone or the moon or sun gods who knows what they worshiped um but the reason that i know who the true and living god is the god of israel is because of the scriptures the hebrew scriptures and and the new covenant the new testament scriptures were written by jewish people
0: well, it looks like we've lost uh, Wes there, which is very sad, but that was a very interesting uh, conversation. Where's Tabor from Life and Messiah? And uh, the book he has written is uh, um sharing, sorry, reaching Jewish people for Messiah, reaching Jewish people for Messiah. And you will find a link to that book in the description with this podcast. Thank you so much for watching. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do so, and uh, check out the other podcasts. And if you are not a host, uh, if you're you're thinking about maybe I I might like to host Israelis when they travel around, whether you're in New Zealand or another country, please get a hold of us, and we'll give you some details of how you can do that. God bless you, thank you for watching.